Has this ever happened to you? You move to another country, start life anew, look for a job, you start to build rapport with your new colleagues on the job, and then they have these holidays that aren't holidays to you, but your holidays aren't holidays to them, and they invite you to stuff. Never once considering was culturally appropriate for you. This ever happened to you? No? Probably because you're an American higher ed employee listening to this podcast and you're working in America. And for my Australian listeners, yeah, you are an Australian working in Australia. But what about the folks who aren't from your country? What's their employee experience? Well, this episode is a talent experience conversation with guest Ken Sedgepaul. I'm hoping that you'll get a few things out of this. One thing, I want you to be able to understand the very presence of international employees on your campus. Second, I want you to understand how to be mindful of what their normal looks like. And the third thing, learn how international employees can enhance your campus culture. Uh, that's outside of the International Food Festival, all right? So let me tell you about Kanari Ken Sagepaul. She's a vice president of marketing and communications and chief marketing officer at University of Redlands. She's a native of Mumbai, India, and she holds a Master of Arts and MBA from Purdue University. Ken is dedicated to advancing higher ed and the importance of marketing in shaping the perception of the higher ed industry. You can read more about Ken in the show notes. In the meantime, let's get into episode two of I Want to Work There. Welcome to I Want to Work There, a podcast that helps colleges and universities boost their brands as employers of choice. I'm your host, Eddie Francis, brand strategy consultant for Edify Ventures. Join me every other week for discussions with some of the best minds in talent recruitment and retention, human resources, and marketing and communications inside and outside of higher education. I Want to Work There is part of the Enrollify Network, a robust collection of podcasts designed to help higher education professionals just like you grow and explore our other shows at enrollify.org or check out some of my personal favorites linked in the show notes below enrollify is made possible by element 451 the leading ai powered all-in-one student engagement platform helping institutions create meaningful personalized and engaging interactions with students learn more at element451.com Ken, thank you so much for joining me on I Want to Work There. How are you? I'm well, Eddie. How are you? I'm doing well. So I just have to warn folks uh, before we jump into this interview, besides Ken having a great sense of humor, she is involved in a little bit of everything. She's pretty much, these days, she's kind of the queen of uh, planning conferences and stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> I don't know about Queen, but yeah, I do help in that regard. Well, no, no. You you do some great work, not just with AMA, with Case. And who else? Who, who else do you do uh, work with? What other associations? Council for Independent Colleges, CIC. Okay, CIC. Okay, very, mm -hmm. very cool. So tell us about what it is that you do at University of Redlands and how you began your higher ed career, because that's actually a very cool story. I... I'm at the University of Redlands as their Vice President of Marketing and Communications and their Chief Marketing Officer, which is a bit of a reimagined position 
from what used to be a university communications office. So we've all heard that story before where university relations or advancement or communications offices have broadened their scope and become very strategic marketing focused. So that was very attractive. And I came to Southern California, the University of Redlands. And it's been sunshine and rainbows ever since in the Mm -hmm. sense of, well, maybe not rainbows, but it's a a lot of sunshine here. Um, It's a very enjoyable time to be here, given all all the initiatives we're working on. But my career really started back when I came to the U.S. uh, from India to study master's in communication. So I came here for graduate school at Purdue University, and my hope and goal was to get a full-time position, not necessarily in higher ed at the time, but in the communications world after graduation and it just so happened that everything I was doing as part of my coursework and practical experience was related to Purdue University and some of their brand projects, market research projects, etc. that I would partner with my professor on and really um, ended up working at the school during the summer when I had internships and such. And when I graduated, Purdue University was reorganizing into, well, what I said previously, from university relations to Office of Marketing and Media with Terry Thompson at the helm, who was quite the mover and shaker of branding and marketing in higher education. And the position was was about marketing strategy. So it was a new position and I applied and she found my experience quite relevant. And I started my career at Purdue University soon after graduation and moved on to served there for about a decade minus a a couple of years that I, I needed to take a break to go back home to India. Um, But for the most part, um, stayed there and then went to Rochester Institute of Technology. So I went from cold to colder uh, as their associate vice president of marketing. And uh, I was there for five years. That was also an inaugural position. And then I got the five-year itch to to think about what's next. And this position came to me. I looked into it and here we are. I've been in higher education since my graduate studies at Purdue. So since we're talking about the experience of international employees in the U.S., what made you come to the U.S. for that Purdue program? What motivated you? Sure. So I come from very humble beginnings, humble background, if you will. The daily hustle and bustle without really any way to, and living paycheck to paycheck and really living uh, living above my means and because my means were so low. Really my way out of that, of that, what I wouldn't call poverty, but a lower middle class situation, which classism was was very prevalent back then 
in India that I would need to pursue education and higher education in India was not an option because there were very finite options and not all of them really led to promising careers. They were they still led to jobs, not careers. So I knew that um, an education abroad um, and particularly U.S. seemed to be the wave at that time where hordes of students were coming here for international education. So I just followed the crowd, uh, worked with an agent in India, which is you typically how Indian students narrowed their search before the internet and who had pretty much three universities on their list for everybody, regardless of major. <laughs> And Purdue was one of them. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I know people there because I knew a lot of my neighbors and uh, others at the time who had gone on to Purdue and such. So I'm like, all right, here we go. (laughs) Boilermakers, here we come. And so one of the things that you mentioned when you and I talked about uh, doing this episode, you mentioned to me that the process of becoming employed in the U.S. is different than abroad. So from your lens, what made that process different? Oh God, where do I even start? Um, <laughs> everything, the everything from a resume, um, mm-hmm. for instance, um, resumes. First of all, we call them CVs, which is which is mm-hmm. not uncommon. But anyways, CVs, things that we put and we still put a lot of us in some parts of the world even not just in india are things like date of birth mm-hmm. gender marital status some things like that and in some parts of the world it was it's even things like if you are working for instance in a patriarchal society you know they ask for gender just to close the equity gap so you know there's good reason for it like when you have how you have it here when you have diverse hire kind of called out in certain job positions or diversity hire um mm-hmm. you see that i think it's it's to protect certain certain um types of groups um however you know pictures were put on yeah, the resume, yeah. you know, and, and such. So right from that process of even knowing where to start and what to put, uh, which fortunately, you know, most schools now provide that level of basic resume review coaching. And I mm-hmm. think that is helpful. But it is also the idea of how do you go through the whole process Um the process seems to be always lengthy in the U.S. relative to what I would be used to or some of the students that I mentored were used to. And that anxiety would always be building about, mm. hey, I didn't get this job. I'm like, no, it's it's really just the process can take time to keep the portal open, to sift through the resumes for the first screening call to even come. Mm-hmm. And then interviews, you know, that's a whole different ball game. It's uh, the way you prepare for interviews is and the types of questions that are being asked. I mean, I think you have to really be confident and almost uh, um, almost bragging right Mm -hmm. about just how wonderful of a person and candidate you are and that really isn't quite the case in some cultures uh, where you know you 
you are very humble even in an interview you don't mm-hmm. have the confidence to toot your own horn and and coaching students and for myself to really get out of my comfort zone and say and answer questions like tell me why you are a better candidate than others i mean that threw me off in the first few things i'm like <laughs> i don't think i'm better than everybody else so let's park it there for a second because you know, when I work with resume clients and and probably almost every client I've worked with, I have looked at their resume and I've said, you're not bragging enough. You're not bragging enough. You know, tell, tell me more. Tell me more because you and, and the philosophy there is that you're competing with a bunch of people who want the same job, you know, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of people, but you're competing. And I will say that when I was being trained as a job recruiter, I'll never forget the first time I saw a resume from someone who's not from the U.S. And I saw a picture and I was like, what is this? What is this? I don't, I don't need your picture. I was like, why are you telling me you were born? Do you not know about identity theft? I mean, it was all kinds of stuff was coming out. So, so my question is this, because this is fascinating to me. If the question is asked, you know, why, why should we select you, right? And, 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 you know, and, and I do think it's kind of unrealistic to ask why over the other candidates, because you don't know the other candidates. Exactly. But when you is, is the is the is the is competition not viewed the same, say, in India or is competition is is it a thing or what? Where's the difference there? No, it is competitive, especially because unemployment is pretty high. Um, So you do you do want to get the best jobs. I just think the way those questions are framed and asked and the way your candidacy is assessed is not just how you project yourself in the most confident way. It's about Mm. all your accomplishments, all the schoolwork, all the experience, which... And your competence. It's not... Yeah, and and all of that, it's not, not that it's irrelevant here, but, you know, I think there is a little bit more stock, I think, we put here in people's ability to translate that into something that is above everybody and everything else in a way that kind of makes the interviewer feel like this person really knows what they're talking about and this person is self-confident and believes that they are the best and you know I think I see a rationale for that but I also see a rationale for a certain level of Humility and a certain level of understanding that depending on the job now, if you know, if you're a very public facing sales person that has to have some of those traits, I think that that can be a different type of assessment that can Mm -hmm. be done. But depending, I think we kind of have cast that broad net across any job um, where maybe we give as much weight to technical skills as we do to what I would say soft skills or power skills and mm-hmm. um, and I think that's that's great I mean I you know now that I'm on the other side I, I do see the value in that is just not how we have learned uh, at least those of us not from here have learned to kind of quote unquote sell ourselves we have learned yeah. Uh, yeah. that our education will speak for itself 
our experience will speak for itself, our volunteering will speak for itself and such. That makes a lot of sense, though, because one of the episodes this did come up, episode two with Jamie Hunt, where we mentioned that the harsh reality, unfortunately, of that whole bragging and and that way of getting a job is that a lot of times the people who get the jobs are the people who interview the best, not necessarily the people who are the most qualified. And those, those can be two very different things. So if you are an employer whose eye isn't on the ball and you are getting wowed by all of the bragging, then you've probably missed a much more qualified candidate uh, because Mm -hmm. you because you bought tickets to the show. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the way, I mean, that is that is exactly, exactly how I feel and what I was trying to say too. And, you know, what you just said reminds me also about the idioms that we use here, right? And eye on the ball is what you said. And I already butchered my opening idiom about uh, rainbows and sunshine, but... <laughs> and, that is one of my, you know, I can I can communicate pretty okay, but uh, uh, idioms are just something that I cannot have a grasp on. But, you know, in the interviews, how many times do we inadvertently talk, talk in a way that is not just plain, simple English and ask right. questions like that, right? So tell me a time where you took the ball and ran with it. Yeah, <laughs> There is no sport that I know of where we take a ball and run with it unless you're playing American football, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and yeah. and yeah. even then you have to interpret and understand what they're trying to say. And, and not to say that that happens often. I think we are more used to kind of going by script and saying, tell me about a time you took initiative yeah. and such. And I think that is just being more conscientious about those types of things, um, I think is helpful. But, you know, just it's it's the candidate's ability to be a good salesperson mm-hmm. about, and yeah. and have the their personal brand really in you know buttoned up not just their professional brand mm. those, those are inter- those are very interesting thoughts all right now i'm intrigued but we gotta we gotta get on to some of the other good stuff in the meantime you're listening to i want to work there i'm eddie francis and we are talking to ken Sedgepaul, and uh, she is the uh, vice president of communications and marketing at university of redlands also chief marketing officer so i can imagine that the experience of the American workplace, uh, you know, for uh, someone who is not from the country, it, it can be really different. One of the things that comes to mind, and you and I talked about this also, holidays and how mm. different that can be. So, um, <laughs> so we will talk about a time, Ken, <laughs> but, but, but talk about when you and your colleagues have tried to engage in something where they might not have been aware of your international diversity. I mean, when when, when did that hit you? And you were like, oh, okay, they, they they didn't quite they don't quite know how this goes with me and the people in my country. Well, I don't know if there is any instance in particular. I would say just from the throughout my career, I have felt that um, a little bit of that sense of, you know, I think there 
oh, there could be a little bit more understanding here or curiosity and such, but mm. it's not because of any ill intent. It's just, you know, people are moving so fast and we, mm. we are trying to build a workplace that is, you know, very forward looking and mm-hmm. focused on, on the mission and vision and just, you know, in general, good people. I mean, I only work in places where I feel that the people around me are good. Um, that that kind of trumps a lot of my other criteria, as it does, I imagine, for many others. I think one of the cases was, um, one of the instances was uh, when um, my name was often confused with another person who was from Peru, um, mm. Peru in in South America. So, one person in particular would like keep um, calling me by her name and her by my name. And the only thing I can only think that we perhaps had in common maybe was that we both um, looked different and sounded different. And that is as far as it went from a similarity standpoint. And I think, yeah, we probably started around the same time as well. But um, I think, again, it was it was more of a confusion. It was a different time. Um, holidays, I mean, I, I can't count how many times people have asked, hey, have you put up your Christmas tree yet? And, I'm like, <laughs> or what, and I was like, um, I don't celebrate christmas but i love uh i love seeing other trees and and such yeah um but i think the workplaces here have become more inclusive where you know you get some of those discretionary holidays or optional holidays or personal days where you can try and use that to celebrate an occasion that is special to you um so i think that i'm seeing some good movement there you're saying you're seeing good movement. Has has it been has it been a, a learning curve though? Has it been something that you've seen that's had to progress? For instance, you know, again, sticking with holidays, you got Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter. You know, I mean, well, now Martin Luther King Day also. I mean, all these days keep lining up, and people keep assuming, you know, or you have you have had throughout your career, you've had folks just assuming that you were celebrating with everyone else. But now it sounds like you're, you're hearing more curiosity and openness, for instance. Yeah. I think there's a lot more cultural awareness and understanding that people are different and celebrate different types of things, even within the United States, uh, regardless of where Mm -hmm. you're from, you know, people care about different things and different occasions and different um, days are important to them for whatever reason. Uh, for some, it's just another holiday, and for some, it is something extremely personal. Uh, for some, it's it's a it's a gathering of family. For some, it's a, it evokes a part of history for them. You know, it's it's all over the place, right? And and so, I think there is more understanding and awareness around that that people that there isn't just that assumption that you are just uh, just because those holidays exist that you are partaking in those holidays hey it's eddie francis and i want to personally invite you to the industry's hottest event this summer the engage summit hosted in raleigh on june 25th and 26th the engage summit is your roadmap for ai readiness in higher education 
Sessions will focus on cutting-edge AI applications that are reshaping student outreach, enhancing staff productivity, and offering deep insights into ROI. It's a dynamic blend of theory and practice, and it isn't your typical conference. Think of it as a two-day masterclass where marketers and enrollment managers come together to learn how to respond to radical changes in AI and its transformative potential. Forget yawning through sessions or clearing out your inbox. We know you do it. This event will provide inspirational programming, truly tactical takeaways, and best-in-class networking opportunities. Oh, and the best part, the Engage Summit is incredibly affordable. Use the discount code Enrollify50 and you can register for just $99. So join your favorite Enrollify network creators at the Engage Summit this June. Learn more and register at engage.element451.com. We can't wait to see you there. Something, but something you did mention, um, and we can get off the holiday thing, but just as a general note, something that you did mention uh, when we talked about doing this episode is having that feeling of loneliness, though, um, as, as someone who is from outside of the country and you're working among all of these folks. So talk a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, Well, the mere fact is we are, as international employees, at least those who started out as international employees, have left their home country, right? That's what makes us international employees in the first place. It goes without saying, but it deserves to be said that not only have we left our home country, we've left families and friends who are thousands and thousands of miles away in some mm-hmm. cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and finding community is even more difficult because um, it's not that you have just moved from one state to another. You are trying to assimilate into a new culture altogether. So, you know, if forming a community where you feel like an outsider, even in even not just at work, but even in social settings or other types of occasions, like how do you even find that unless it's people from that country that you left and, you know, or or maybe some common hobbies and such. And But even then, I think um, that feeling of, of, oh, you're having your people or... Um, around you and surround you I think that's hard that because yeah. uh, you've you've had that your whole life and suddenly you don't but you have them virtually but that only can go so far as we all know it's lonely to um, engage and interact and do things in in a way that you want to enjoy them and not just because that's what people here like to do. For instance, happy hours, right? Happy hours are such a such a commonplace thing here for gatherings, um, whether whether it's work related or not. And that is not how I enjoy um, socializing. And mm. um, and and I don't think I would be alone in in saying that a lot of people that. Uh, f- for whom so you know social gathering does not equal 
you know, going for a cocktail yeah. um, would feel the feel any differently. So, um, or a wine or whatever it is. Um, so, I think those types of um, considerations uh, where we can try and where we're trying to build community and I think there we want to be thoughtful about, okay, how do we diversify the ways in which we do have um, fun, for instance. Um, We can do a happy hour, nothing wrong with that. Um, But maybe next time we try bowling or something that is um, different and, um, and, and enjoyable nonetheless. So, and and the next time it's it's some something else that is uh, again different because then if you're going bowling if you have somebody who's differently abled that may not be inclusive of them so just continue to think about diversifying the ways in which we get together um, can kind of help hopefully with that with some level of loneliness but at the end of the day I think that until you start to have your own family or have family start to move closer some part of that still remains yeah and it goes without saying doing this without calling the individual out it's like well you know Ken doesn't celebrate Christmas so yeah nobody needs that or like oh Ken doesn't like to go Oh, Kim doesn't like wine? She doesn't like what? <laughs> I'm like, well, I do like wine. Wine doesn't like me. That's one. And then yeah. two, <laughs> um, um, it's just uh, I like uh, different modes of uh, having fun. And uh, right. I'm happy to still accompany and have a mocktail. You know, there's nothing wrong with a mocktail, too. you're listening to i want to work there i'm eddie francis and we're talking to ken sedgepaul and so one of the episodes that we had uh we had a guest named Brittany king i've referenced this episode so many times because Brittany says something that is just so so to me it's so brilliant and she said as opposed to going for cultural fit go for cultural cultivation in an Mm. organization in this case go for people who are going to help grow the culture in an institution how do you see folks who are not from America contributing to the cultural cultivation of a campus? Yeah, um, I I totally agree with that. In fact, that's something that I look for is um, what she calls, I think, cultural cultivation. Um, I have been calling cultural enhancement. It's not mm, about... Mm-hmm. Um, fitting in it's about enhancing what currently exists and it's it's exactly the same idea uh, of you know the the more the the more perspectives right the more perspectives the better the culture just generally you have a better outlook on what um, society is and wants, um, mm-hmm. particularly in our role as marketers and communicators. I think just having a finger on the pulse on just the, our broad audiences um, can come from who we have working within and um, and and just exchange of ideas and, and perspectives and, and thoughts. And you are not in a bubble then, you know, you... Um, 
not you know you yes you can travel abroad and learn about cultures but you might have somebody just sitting the next cubicle who can who's just so willing and available to talk about quote unquote things back home that you learn so much about a particular country or 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 such that you had the opportunity to take advantage of um so take it you know it mm-hmm. it makes people more comfortable with differences. I think there is a little bit of discomfort um, with people who aren't exactly like you. And um, there's even more discomfort when people are um, as different as internationals tend to be relative to people here, right? And 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 that can vary depending on, I don't want to lump in all internationals, like maybe Canadians and Americans are not as, as different, but there are differences, but as opposed to uh, somebody from the other side of the world. And yeah. it just makes you a more empathetic human. And, and chances are, like in this 21st century, you will... F- you will work alongside somebody who is different and from a different background and culture. So why not use that as an enhancement opportunity and uh, as a way to connect with people who are different and um, channel your curiosity and learn something new? Have you ever had a student respond to the fact that you are from the same country, yet you are an administrator? Actually, I haven't directly, no. Um, Being an administrator isn't something I've done for that long. Um, Mm -hmm. However, you know, I have been very intentional about connecting with students and particularly connecting with international students. Um, When I was at Purdue University, I started a volunteer gig where I was coaching international students on career preparation. Mm -hmm. And I was a I was a staff member. Uh, my building was right next to the administration building. I wasn't that high up in in the ladder, but I was still different. And, and you, you still represented you know, the organization. I represent yeah, absolutely the institution. But yeah. um, really, they they thought of me as a resource, as somebody that was there to help because I extended that offer to help because of all the hurdles that I had to go through as an international employee looking for a job that I wanted to make sure they were well prepared. I continued that work at RIT. Um, and now that we are expanding our international enrollment here at the University of Redlands, I, I hope to continue to do that. And and I hope that will only be perceived as somebody who works at the university that cares about the students because that's ultimately why we all do what we do in higher education. This is just one way that I would like to give back in a more tangible way um, and and directly meet with students face-to-face and give them help and direction if and where they need it. Yeah, don't be surprised if you inspired somebody. I'm pretty sure that's happened along the way. So, um, well, uh, that <laughs> prompts a story. If you have, if we have a no, go ahead, it. please. Yeah. So at Purdue, I connected with a student who, um, you know, was. Uh, I reached out, and you know, I had a web page and everything about uh, kinship. Uh, was the name <laughs> of my organization. Um, See what you did there. Okay. Uh huh. She contacted me, and we. You know, I, I helped her through the job search process. She was from Spain. 
and um, she really wanted to work in the aeronautics industry and uh, we were you know I helped her with the resume interview preps and 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 such again the school was already offering that but how do you do that as an international student was where I was trying to fill that gap Um, you know long story short she she landed a job she moved up in 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 her role and she's doing wonderful things she's now based out of canada and last year um she invited me to her wedding in oh, spain man. where i went and she read something really meaningful at her reception thanking her family and friends and she called out um, you know, she called me out like if it weren't for Kane, I wouldn't have the dream job that I have today and I wouldn't have met my partner who she met through work. And so it was just the most beautiful thing that has happened um, since I started um, kind of, you know, getting more intentional about helping international students. Oh, man, that's a cool story. Very cool. So I always like to ask my guests, Ken, um, the way forward for institutions to build and maintain great employer brands. And we've been focused on talent experience here. Um, How do you see American colleges and universities improving both talent attraction and talent experience for international employees or or maybe just that one campus that that could do it? How do you see it? Yeah, in terms of attraction, I think, you know, one of the things is if you have a seat at the table, I think take the opportunity to look at what types of policies you have for hiring international employees. Sometimes they're just blanket statements about um not sponsoring international visas, but then sometimes they vary for faculty and they vary for staff. Faculty sometimes can be more prone to getting those for research activity and such. So if you have the opportunity to voice that for on behalf of the staff, um, do that. I would say, you know, there's a lot more than what you read on paper. Um, I know that resumes are really the only way we can sift through maybe hundreds of applications if you're in that in that lovely position to get so many applications. But understand a little bit more about why certain things might be there and don't just discard them on on the basis of of a typo for instance which mm-hmm. i know is can can happen because then you get to this idea of you know attention to detail and things like that but you know for people who are bilingual or trilingual like me you know you translate everything in your own head and before you put that uh, before you say that out aloud I mean on paper yeah you have the the opportunity to do a more thorough review so I, I get that but you know just because somebody has vocal fillers in their interview conversations and such it's not because they cannot communicate verbally it's because they are just that's how their brain functions when it's trying to process information in three languages start with some low barriers to hiring international employees start with student workers that are from different countries it gives them a taste of the american workplace 
Um, they are very hard workers. Um, I think the the good and bad of international employees is that they go above and beyond, in my opinion, in my obviously biased opinion, but still, <laughs> um, because they, you know, the world is not their oyster. Like the options are not unlimited they are bound by certain organizations who are willing to take that chance and give them that visa that employer visa and so they they always there's always an underlying sense of insecurity which is the bad part but on the flip side it they work twice as hard don't exploit them but still you know just just appreciate that and give them that chance because you'll find that they will they will really rise to the occasion especially if you give them good mentorship and stay curious um you know learn more um just don't let your perception of this is the way the workplace should be cloud your understanding of you know how where people come from um and what their ways of doing things might be and ask people their names and ask people how to say their names i know people do that now more (laughs) but you know i've spoken to a few people who've adopted american names um i shortened my name i had a colleague who simply says I don't care what they call me as long as I am approachable because I feel like if I correct them they won't approach me anymore mm. um, because they are hesitant to um, hesitant to call me by my name because they might mispronounce it again and so you know I think just 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 learn and be curious and and but also watch for some microaggressions don't don't ask in a way that makes them feel um, a little belittled, you know, just, you know, things like your English is so good or how are mm-hmm. things in Africa? Like <laughs> it's a continent, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, just, or where are you actually from? Or, you know, things like yeah. that, where you know that they're trying to really get down where it's I don't know how much is coming from a curiosity place as much as it's coming from oh I want to put you in some sort of a box and I just need to mentally understand what box to put you in so and give them a voice in meetings and such you know they are not like I said communications is uh, is something that they are constantly they we I guess are constantly working on and um, a lot of cultures come from a place of do as you're told as opposed to speak up and mm. and such. And so they're just not used to speaking up and mm. and giving their two cents worth. So give them that opportunity um, and understand that more. Ken, thank you so, so much. Uh, Ken Sash Paul is the Vice President of Marketing and Communications, also Chief Marketing Officer of University of Redlands. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. And thank you so much for joining me on I Want to Work There. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I Want to Work There is part of the Enrollify Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. 
Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, enrollment, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks, all designed to empower you to be a better higher ed professional. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea and feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Jamie Hunt, Mallory Wilsey, Seth Odell, Dave Kibbles, Jenny Lee Fowler, and so many other of your favorite leaders in higher ed. Enrollify is made possible by Element 451, the leading AI-powered all-in-one student engagement platform, helping institutions create meaningful, personalized, and engaging interactions with students. Learn more at element451.com.